Welcome to Fridays on the Fly. And I'm Rod. And I'm Ward. We are creative people, the creative projects. Sometimes we talk about that, among other things. Be forewarned, sometimes content or language may be inappropriate for children. Rod, what's happening? Well, I'm alone on the sofa. This is... Um, that does not happen often. It hasn't happened in years. The, my first year on the podcast, you know, I was introduced in the in the spring and that was back when Eric used to be gone for the whole summer. And so it was just you and I that summer. And that was, that you're, was the you're last, his replacement for that. That summer. was the last time I was alone on the sofa. <laughs> so what's been going on? Uh, well, I, I, you know, I have big news in my life. Oh yeah. I'm not sure that it's podcast worthy. Cause I don't think our audience is going to think everything is podcast worthy. Oh, okay. It, it's podcast that I, worthy. That I have big news. I have a granddaughter. My first grandchild right. was born Saturday. Congratulations. Thanks very much. So that's been very exciting. Everything went wonderful. She's perfect. Um, only got to see her once so far, but I'm going back tomorrow to see her. And so it's just cool. Just something different. I was reflecting, actually, I was thinking about it on the ride over here, not because I thought we'd talk about it, but you know, my da- this daughter got married in 2015. That was the year my son started high school. You know, you and Eric are obviously at, you know, different stages of your life than I am. And I could not have enjoyed a grandchild that as much as I am going to now while I had a son at home in school. Right. Because I was still going through the parent stage. Well, now my son's, I mean, he's graduating college this year. And I mean, he was home. I mean, he rarely comes home anymore. He's got an apartment and he, you know, he'll come home to see us and, you know, but he won't even stay for dinner. He'll leave and go back. I, you know, I don't like what y'all eat. I want to go cook for myself. <laughs> and so he's gotten really independent. And so he's been gone long enough that I, you know, it's, I'm out of the parenting stage. So I'm really looking forward to grandparenting. So do so. you feel, I mean, do you feel older now that it's born? Did you feel older? Like, when it was announced or has that set in yet? No. Do you feel like so, a grandfather? No. Well, so um, we, it's kind of funny that you'd ask that. No, n- nothing about having a grandchild makes me feel older. I'm eight years older than my parents were when they had their first grandchild. Um, nothing about that, but completely independent of this within the last six or eight months, I've had a couple of occasions where I glance at my, I, I catch a side glance of myself in the mirror or something. And I think, I look like my dad. <laughs> Dang. It's like, you know, and I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not really weird about my age. I just don't care about it all that much. But I, I have felt, I, I have thought, I, I look, I look older than I think I am. Um, and I think that in and of itself is kind of a stage of life, you know, where, you know, I would think that guys your age never look at themselves and think, hmm, I look older than I think I am. It's, you don't really get to that, I don't think, until you get up into your, I would think at least early 50s, if not, you know, mid, later 50s. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I mean, especially now that I'm approaching 40, you know, you think about these things, but I've always been the youngest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And when you're early 20s, you hate that. When you're like mid to late 20s, you love it. And so <laughs> I, I've loved that for so long. But now I'm like, oh, wow, I'm no longer the younger per- youngest person in the room. And the only disconnect is I'm about to turn 40. But I felt like I've been in my 20s throughout my 30s. I'm like, right. 40 just doesn't feel right. I don't feel like I'm sure. 40. And, you know, when I was in my 20s, 40 was old. Yep. And you know, every time, like, 
when I was in my 20s, 30s was old. I was like, well, 30s are old. But, you know, I get to my 30s. doesn't seem that old. Now I'm getting to 40. I'm like, I just don't feel 40. I don't – that does not seem like a right, the correct description of me. I think yeah. I'm like – I give myself maybe 35 on the high side, like yeah. 28 low side. <laughs> it just – it doesn't feel right. And it just – it feels like a, a negative connotation. Like, um, I don't know if it was last week on the podcast or the week before. We were talking about whether I could describe myself as a screenwriter. Uh, since I do write screenplays, mm-hmm. uh, Caleb's very pragmatic approach was, unless you put it on your tax return as your primary source of income, you can't claim that. And I was like, <laughs> primary source of income? Yeah. It, there are so few screenwriters. That makes so few screenwriters in the whole wide world if that was the measure. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's a pragmatic approach. I appreciate it. I'm like, so in the same vein that call myself a screenwriter seems like a misnomer, like call myself 40 seems like a misnomer in the same degree. It's like, well, yeah. that, didn't, that didn't really capture who I am. I'm not 40. Right. Well, and it's, and I think we all have those. And so I have never, I, even to this day, the only age that when I had a birthday, it caused me to stop and think, guess what age? 50. 20. 20. Wow. Because to me, I was, so a teenager is in the eyes of the world is a kid. I was no longer a teenager, you know, and, and I'd already gone through the steps of, you know, getting my license, registering for the draft, registering to vote. And, and at 19, I could buy alcohol. And so when I turned 20, I thought, huh, that, that, that just seemed different to me. That, that to me was the, to me, it was the age dividing line between childhood and adult because it separated teenagers and what comes after being a teenager, an adult. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the only age I ever turned that I thought, huh, that age means something to me. No age since then has meant anything to me. I've, you know, I, I agree with what you're looking at, though. Ages have a connotation to you. Definitely. And to me, you know, so when I was in my 20s, uh, you know, somebody in their 30s, you know, that's, that's like a family man, you know, when I'm in my twenties, I'm, you know, I'm kind of free. I'm footloose and fancy free, even though I was married young, but forties, that's like a family man. That's yeah. I mean, you know, like twenties, the guy, yeah. Carefree forties. Yeah. You don't carefree is not the word that goes to forties. No, no like, that's right. That's probably like 20th, maybe 25th down the line of words yeah. to describe 40. <laughs> Funny. But I know, you know, I've talked about like midlife crisis. I mean, I've never, I mean, I think I may have had like a quarter life crisis just because, you know, it's like, you think, oh, this is the rest of my life, which it's not. Uh, I don't really feel like I'm going to have a midlife crisis. I mean, to me, it's, my only hesitation is I just have friends that, you know, turn 40, they get like 42, 43, they start needing reading glasses and like, you know, <laughs> the creaks and groans and like, and like, oh, you know, getting up from the floor. I'm like, I don't really want that. I don't yeah. have that yet. I don't yeah. want that. Because to me, you know, some people are like, man, 20s were the best time of my life. The 30s, my 30s were great. And my 40s are going to be even better. But I am concerned about, like, what part of my body going to start breaking down? Like, yeah. maybe I should start taking myself a little bit more because I don't want to slow that, down. That's so funny that you say that because, I mean, I was talking about stuff happened, like, within the last year. Within the last week, I, I have noticed, you know, first of all, I sold my pilot, and I now drive a Camry all the time. And a lot of reason behind that. But anyway, you know, when you get out of a pilot, you get down out of a pilot. When you get out of a Camry, you get up out of a Camry. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed 
that most days I have, you know, some sort of sore muscle type feeling in my legs. And I'm thinking, huh, that's, this is just a factor of age. I haven't done anything to be sore. I mean, you know, nothing, I haven't done anything out of the ordinary, working in the yard, working around the house. I haven't been up and down ladders or, you know, I haven't done anything to be sore. But when the last week or so, I thought, huh, I've noticed that for several days I've had these, you know, pain, I guess, discomfort, you know, in my legs when I get up out of the car. And that's exact. <laughs> I make a conscious effort not to make a sound. You know, because you talk, because you said it, you said, you know, creak, creaks and groans. Yeah. People go, ah, when they get up, I make a conscious effort never to do that <laughs> because I just think it's like, oh, you're an old man. Well, I mean, you, you make a groan when you sit down and get up, it ages you instantly 10 years. You're right. Instantly. It does. Like you can't do that. So, and I've caught myself like getting up and you're like, <laughs> like, I can't do that. Nope. That's not right. So I got one last thing on the age thing. The, uh, it was just within the last couple of weeks so I've got a friend of mine that we go to church with um, who is closer in age to my dad than me. He's in his later 60s. I don't know exactly how old he is. I think he's like 68, 67, 68, somewhere in there. My dad is 74. And so he's closer and much closer in age to my dad than me. But we've been friends because our children were exactly the same age. We met when our children were starting elementary school. So we've been friends for 20 years, 20, 25 years. And so, so I've, I've hung around him to, to some extent for 25 years and he's much older than me. And it was all those things about, you know, the, the differences. I was always in better shape than him. I could always, you know, when doing things, you know, he would call me because I was his young, strong friend. <laughs> and, um, so Dawn was, she's, I think she asked how old you were. And I said, nah, you don't know exactly late thirties. I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 20 years older than him, but it's, it feels like I am. And, um, she said, ah, you're the, of the group, you know, name the guy you're, you're, <laughs> you're this guy of the group, you know, everybody's younger than you. You're the old guy in the group. I didn't, I didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> Heard a little bit, huh? <laughs> yeah. I just like, dang, I stung. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. So I got, I'm going to, I'm gonna find me some old friends to hang around with, so I'm I could be the young be guy. The young that, one, yeah. I'd be the young guy in that group. I'm with you. <laughs> I think you always like. I always want to have some people older than me because you know you you don't want to be the old guy of the group. No, that's right. So I, I've I've started to hang around with that guy a little bit. We've done a few things recently. It makes me feel better because he does creak and groan every time he moves. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of old guys, Albert Pujols. Oh my goodness! I mean, you know, beginning of the year is kind of like not even a fifty-fifty shot. You know, like. No. And man, he has been one of the best home run hitters in the second half. How much do you think St. Louis would pay him to come back next year? If it were, if he opened the door to him, how much do you think St. Louis would give him for a one-year deal? I don't even know because, you know, if, if he stopped this year short of 700, they'd give him a bunch, sure. But he's kind of, he's hit the 700. You know, there's no, I mean, you know, he could do 715, but well, I just, I, I mean, I just think, I mean, and I know that people are wanting to see him hit 700, but they're still packing the the stadium to see him play. They're still coming out to see him play, I believe, today. Yeah. Um, Just because they want to see him play. I just, I feel like this is his last gasp of like, you know, we're we're getting to see prime Pujols 
for like yeah. one last time. Like, I'm, isn't it cool? Isn't that just the greatest amazing. way to go out? You know, you know what would have been equally cool is if Tom Brady hadn't come back after he won the Super Bowl. Yeah, idiot. <laughs> That's you know that would be if Pujols came back next year is like Brady coming back after he won the Super Bowl. Do you think he regrets that? Do you know we watch enough football to even like, like you know, be really aware of that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. how stupid that was. Uh, but I mean, I, I know St. Louis has got to be ecstatic that he has had this resurgence because, you know, I know like halfway through the season, it's like, well, man, St. Louis, they're in playoff contention. Are they really going to play Pujols because he's a liability. And then, you know, whatever happened to the All-Star break, that home run derby, you know, some people say that you go in the home run derby and it, it gives you that swing. power. I mean, <laughs> man, you know, he just, he turned it around. Yeah. And I just wonder, is it, he just knows like, this is the last run. Like, let's just go out and have fun. I don't know, but yeah. it's been neat. I mean, to see Pujols hit, Chase 700 and Judge Chase 60. Yeah. What a year. It's been, uh, it, I mean, well, and, and I think in that same vein, you have to mention Otani in the year he's had. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, some people are like, oh, it's clear. Judge is the MVP for sure. And I think, the, really, I think the only reason, thing that hurts Otani is that he won it last year. And he's doing the same thing he did last year. But, unfortunately for him, and, uh, you know, he's doing so much better. I mean, Otani's having a Cy Young-type season pitching it, it, and he's hitting great i know it. he's i mean uh, people talk about the mvp and I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that judge will win the mvp and in fact he may win it really close to a unanimous vote i mean it was, it'll be a, a landslide i believe but i disagree with it yeah i, I believe otani is the mvp uh, you know what you know what is mvp define most valuable so, so you define it how do you define most valuable player I mean, I look at it as the best player. Period. You yeah. know, like some people say, "Oh, you know, it's the best player in a contender." I don't. No, I you, you can't. You can't penalize a player no. for the team they're on. That, the, whether or not a team is winning or not should be completely irrelevant because that's not what it says. That's right. There, there is. You know, they do. Um, you know, like an MVP, like uh, you know, the NBA will do a Finals, you know, MVP. You know, set them apart from the regular season MVP, but. Um, you know, whether your team is a contender or not should be completely irrelevant. And and so if you look at, well, who is more valuable to a team? The guy who's got, what's Otani's ERA, like 1.7 or 2.2 or it's something. Yeah, it's really it's ridiculously good. Yes. good. And he's hitting what? He's at like 30-some home, run, home yeah. runs. He's batting nearly 300 uh, or just over 300, actually, I think. I have to look that up. I mean, it's crazy because if you separate Otani as pitcher and batter, he's an MVP talks if you separate him. That's You're right. putting him together. I saw somebody was trying to argue that, well, obviously Otani's the greatest player in baseball, but Judge is the MVP. How do you square that one? I mean, no, no, you, I, I mean, I think, you know, it's – we obviously have a media bias. Even the, even the sports writers voting on this have a media bias that, you know, you see Judge, you see the Yankees winning – and it's that enormity of, you know, the home run record, air quotes. Yeah. We haven't got to that yet. But I, to me, I, I don't know how you could ever vote anybody but Otani while he's doing what he's doing. He is literally the most valuable player a team could have. Yeah. I mean, the, and nobody has ever done what he's done. You know, everybody talks about judges – dominance offensive dominance this year and like certainly he is dominant you know i mean to lead the league 
not just with how many homers he has, but how many he has compared to second place. But Otani, that, that, the problem with Otani is, you know, he did it last year. He got the MVP last year. And I feel like a lot of people have kind of like checked that box. Like, well, he did it. He got it. He's still doing it. He's doing it better than he did last year. Otani yeah. is incredible. Like, uh, the Angels have become kind of my second favorite, my favorite AL team just because yeah. is Otani in the game? Yeah, I want to watch him. That's right. I want to watch everything that man does. Uh, you know, if the uh, if we were near a ballpark where, you know, the Angels were coming, if I heard the Angels were coming, Otani was pitching, I would do everything I could to get to that ballpark. I'm with you. That's I, I want to I want to see him pitch and hit. I want to see him play. And I, I would go to see him hit, but I mean, if he's pitching, whatever I got to do. Yeah. And, you know, like the Angels, like before this year, the preseason, the Angels have Shohei Otani. I mean, that alone. They have Mike Trout, who was the best player in baseball. I mean, he's still really good, the one of the most complete baseball players, but he plays with Shohei Otani, and Shohei just, <laughs> you can't top Shohei. And no. they, they had Rendon. I, I, can't, I don't think Rendon was healthy at the beginning of the year, but they just have all these players. And then you look at their results. And, I, yeah, they don't have a lot of pitching. They signed Noah Syndergaard, who you know I'd hoped would maybe have some kind of resurgence. I think he's injured. I don't even know what he's doing. But, man, the Angels, it's – I think Manezan's out now. I think they, he got fired. Hmm. But to have the level of talent they have and to not have anything to show yeah. for it. I don't keep up with the team. So, you know, I, I remember when you said Syndergaard, I remember that. Because in my mind, and maybe I'm wrong, I have to go look and see. But in my mind, he's been kind of a disappointment for, for what they were expecting. I, I've just always thought them as a two-hit wonder. They got Otani and Trout, and that's that's really who they ha- – in my mind, that's who they've got. But it's who their stars are. That's yeah. like – Looking at the Lakers, I can, I can name two players on the Lakers. You know, I, I don't know who else is there. So, does Judge have the home run record? Well, so, no, no, no. so this is your answer. Your I, just, I know, but I have to you, preface it. Because I love the how it's been portrayed that it's like, oh, he's got the AL home run record. You know, it's very deceiving <laughs> how it's been phrased, but I love it. But they've got another phrase, too. It's not the AL home run record. Did you see, hear the other phrase? What's the other phrase? The clean home run record. Well, you know, I've heard people dance around. Like, before he hit 61, I heard people are like, well, is this the true home run record? What's the true home run record? And I heard uh, Maris Jr. talking about, you know, that. Uh, but, you know, if he's an NL, I don't know what the media would use to describe it. Because everything I've heard is like, oh, the AL home run record. Yeah. Uh, I bet the media is glad he's in the AL. Are they, I'm sure they are. Because you'd have to jump through so many hoops as an NL. Yeah. But uh, on one hand, Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs. It's in the record books. Like it, you, yeah. It's undeniable. It is there. Right. I don't believe there's an, even an asterisk next to it. No. On the other hand... There, there's no asterisks in the record book. It's. Uh, mean, they take Maris's off? Yeah, that's not... He had an asterisk for a long time. At least through the 90s. No, I don't even remember that. Because whatever commissioner was the commissioner when Maris uh, hit it, he was a huge Babe Ruth fan, and Ruth did it in 154, Maris did it in 162. And so there's an asterisk there for at least through the 90s, because like, that's why I was big into baseball cards. Like, yeah. I, I had all that. So okay. I know there still is, but uh, I know Barry Barry's home run ball, the actual ball, whoever bought it, was it the guy that did comic books? He had an asterisk stamped into the ball. <laughs> that didn't go into the record books. Uh, but, you know, Barry undeniably hit 73 home runs. Like It's in the record books. I don't think there's an asterisk next to it. At the same time, you would think a player that hits any of the home runs that did it quote-unquote right, or like, if we're going to acknowledge he did it, you'd think the man would be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Barry Bonds, his stats are unbelievable. But he will never, well, I won't say never, he won't be voted in by the media. He may get in through the Veterans Committee, but even that might be a stretch. Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, the, I mean, I, you know, I thought, 
uh, if oh, if you saw Aaron Judge's, you know, his response to the question, I I thought was the only response. You know, well, Bonds hit seventy three. Yeah. Until somebody hits more than seventy three, somebody, you know, you haven't hit the most home runs in a season. And you know, he he you know he looks at Bonds seventy three as the record, and the, and I think you have to look at it that way because otherwise it's like if you look at judge you can't say it's really the home run record just because he hasn't used steroids well we assume he hasn't you know hasn't used steroids because somebody hit more than that so as long as there's a question mark as long as there's a yeah but it ain't the record and i mean the thing is if you're saying oh well you know bonds mcguire and sosa who are the only guys above judge number of home runs hit if you're like well we're gonna we're gonna delete this from the record books they use steroids well, I mean, what about all the amphetamines people used in the 80s and 70s and back to the 60s? Babe Ruth <laughs> injected himself with sheep sperm trying to get it. It's like, <laughs> dude's have been cheating for as long as it's been around. So, you know, if sure. you're like, well, he cheated or he's out. Oh, my God. How many, record, how many records do we have to wipe out of the record books to do that? I mean, yeah. I like Barry Bonds. I like Barry Bonds despite the steroids. And I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think what you should do, and this is a great way to do it in the Hall of Fame. If they're listening, I'll, I'll give you this to you for free. Create a wing in the Hall of Fame, their steroid wing, and put Bonds and Sosa, McGuire and Clemens, and whoever else like is <laughs> you, you know did it. Put them in there. I mean, what kind of smack in the face would it be to Barry Bonds where he get you put him in the Hall of Fame and he's in a wing where it's like, oh, your steroid user, your, your stuff doesn't really count. Man, you know, as much as he wants to be in the Hall of Fame, that'd be a smack in the face. So you're, you're kind of. But if you went to the Hall of everybody. Fame, would you avoid that wing? No, you wouldn't avoid that wing. You love you it, man. See all that see stuff. See those like incredible Hulk looking dudes. Yep, that's of course, right. you want to go in there. Look at the size of his head. <laughs> you know what they need to do? They need to put like a life size model of Barry, like at his peak, like hugeness yep. in there, just so you like stand next to him, like look at the size of this man's head. Yep. <laughs> but that way, everybody's happy because Barry should be in the Hall of Fame. Barry was a Hall of Famer before he did roids, and when he did roids, like it just yep. was ridiculous. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean bon- Bonds. I, don't, I think it answered the question, but Bonds he holds home run record. Like it's what it says in the record books. Yeah. There's just too much, uh, too much you have to wipe out if you start saying like, "Well, I don't really like how this person got there." Well, what about all the dudes on speed, man? They, yeah, it helps. Yeah, but I, I do, I do like. It is nice that they can say Judge holds the AL home run record. Like it kind of it gives it like a little bit more prominence than like, oh, well, he's sure. he's hit the fifth most home runs in baseball. Nobody's saying that. Or no, <laughs> is it fifth? What? Bonds, McGuire, McGuire, Sosa, 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 Sosa Judge. So he hit sixty three times. Ah, okay, uh, he's the only yeah. person to ever hit sixty home runs more than twice. <laughs> but McGuire did it twice. Bonds never hit more than forty other than his outlier seventy three home run season. Wow, and yeah, so hmm. put them all now in the Hall of Fame. Give them their own wing and make it the steroid. Yeah, wing. you know, and I'm I'm very negative. You know, first off, I mean, it's you know, to me, baseball. Cheating is so pervasive in all of baseball. Um, it's almost like uh, stock car racing. You know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. There that's you go. That, that's I, one of the a crew chiefs said that. It's been a, a a quote forever since. That's the way baseball is. I mean, they're they're always cheating. They're always, you know, doing something to try to get more against the rules. Yeah, and it's um, and maybe other sports are just like it. I don't know, but to me, baseball is the one, maybe it's just because that's what I grew up watching and I know it better. Baseball is the one where, you know, cheating is so pervasive at so many levels. Well, I mean, I I always argue this, that baseball took the brunt of steroids. 
completely. I think it was, I don't know if it was two or three years ago, um, but there was some baseball player, I don't even remember who, he got suspended in the middle of the season for steroids, was not going to be on the team's uh, playoff roster because that's you get suspended for steroids, you're not on the playoff roster. That same year in the NFL, the Super Bowl team, the guy who won Super Bowl MVP, he, he'd been caught for steroids that year. <laughs> and he, it was not a big deal. Yeah. Like with baseball, man, you do steroids, like banish them out of the sport, out of everything. Yeah. Like football, yeah, let's just put them on the Super Bowl. You know, like I, I just don't get the disconnect about like, why baseball is a bit of the brunt, why baseball had a whole Senate committee hearing over steroids. All these other sports went too. Like the Olympics, how many Olympians get uh, <laughs> banned for steroids all the time? But somehow baseball. That is hallowed ground. You can't do yeah. steroids in baseball. Like football, that's great. We'll give you an MVP trophy. That's right. I, I, I just, I've never understood why. Interesting. Uh, but, you know, I mean, every sport cheats. Yeah. I'm like Lance Armstrong. There's a Hall of Fame <laughs> of cycling. Put the dude in because what he did, I'm not saying he didn't cheat, but what he did is amazing. Like, he took cheating to a science. He did. And he that's made right. everybody else in the sport cheat too. Like, what kind of pull do you have when everybody's going to cheat? And like, well, Lance, if Lance is cheating, I have to cheat too. And I'm going to, like, he made everybody cheat. He, yeah. I mean, I think some people, he actually intimidated them to cheat. He's like, you've got to cheat. And they're like, well, it's Lance Armstrong. I can't say no to that. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, then too, you got to give Lance credit where you build this whole persona over, I overcame cancer and I'm a cyclist. And like all of it's this false narrative. Yeah. If there's a cycling hall of fame, I want him in it. And I want like a big wing of like, it's just amazing. <laughs> what that man did, it's heinous, sure, but right. you got to give him credit. You don't even have to talk about all of his wins. We'll just, just talk about his, exactly. his accomplishments in cheating. I mean, like whoever has just created such a web of deceit like that so big so broad that i think from the years where his title was stripped there are no winners because everybody was doping yeah it's so that's kind of it would be an interesting study the the top 10 cheaters sports cheaters in history who are the top 10 cheaters in sports history i'd have to think lance armstrong has to be at, at or near the top I guess it also depends on parameters. I mean, is it just like their how they cheated to get their physical performance, or like all the surrounding like social stuff too? Because I mean, Lance was huge. Like his live yeah. strong thing. Like sure, Lance has to be the greatest cheater of all time. Yeah, I mean, Barry cheated, sure, but he didn't force everybody else to cheat in the sport. No. Lance forced everybody too. Yeah, and like <laughs> Lance. I mean, like the way he figured all this stuff out and science all this stuff out, like this is how you do it. You know, you got to, you got to bag some blood and like pump it. In. Like, man, it, it's impressive. <laughs> like in a terrible way, but it's impressive. <laughs> is there a cheaters hall of fame? There should be. Put there Lance at the be. top. That's right. Yeah. Put Lance at the top. Would Barry be second? I feel like there's got to be somebody that's a bigger cheater than Barry. Wow. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, well, Barry is the, the, the face of baseball cheating because of his home run record. Well, I think too. He, he, I mean, you you can put. I mean, some people will say Clemens because the way he lied to the Senate and or or whatever else. But I mean, Barry's home run record makes his cheating a greater effect historically than anybody else's. It makes him an easy target. Like Mark McGuire, like '98, the McGuire Sosa race. Yeah, that was huge. That made baseball front page news that, and baseball didn't that, know what to do with that, that resurrected baseball from the dead yeah i did not watch baseball 96 97 i didn't watch you probably I, went I, 95 right after the 94 yeah start. well 95 96 you know i didn't watch any baseball at all for about two or three years and that was during the time when i, I was famous at my work for scheduling my travel around being in cities where when teams were home mm -hmm. because we traveled to all these cities where there were major league ballparks. And they said, right. Can you come next week? 
give me a second. Let me check. Nope. Can't come next week, <laughs> but I can come the week after. Um, but I didn't, I didn't watch any baseball after, you know, the, the strike season, but I did 98. I wanted to, I wanted to see, I wanted to see every game. I wanted to hear about every at bat that the, uh, their race was, it, it was made for TV. I mean, I think, I, I think I would put Mark McGuire in the cheating hall of fame above Barry, just because Mark McGuire is the reason Barry cheated. Barry saw that 98 home run race. was like, I want a piece of that. Hmm. And what doesn't help Barry? I mean, one, he's got the all-time record. He, he has Jack McGuire. But Barry was a colossal jerk before. He had his own lazy boy in the corner of the clubhouse. And everyone knew that was Barry's chair. And he stayed away from Barry. Like, the press <laughs> hated him. And so, of course, when all this came out, it's just it's such an easy target. Because, you know, you want to, like, grind it and get Barry because the dude's a jerk. Yeah. Like, Mark McGuire, I mean... Well, I don't know. Then again, I guess you could, if you're going to put McGuire up there, does Conseco edge out McGuire? I don't know because Conseco, all hitching and it's his yeah. whole tell-all <laughs> book, which and, and then all Conseco is just everything that surrounds him and how he lives his life. Like I've read, you know, you just read things about Jose Conseco. You're like, how does this man make it through the day? He uh, he seems so dorky to me. Just I, I don't know if that's the, the right way to say it. He's he comes across as unintelligent. He does. And like anything you read about him, you just like, yeah. I'm not sure how the man gets out of bed in the morning. Like, does he have somebody to help him? <laughs> oh, that's good. But yeah, I'm not even, I don't think Conseco is probably the reason steroids are so prevalent in baseball. I mean, he certainly helped. I, I don't know. I don't know if you can pinpoint who did it. No, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I, I, the, unlike Armstrong and cycling, it seems to me that baseball, it, it, steroids arrived on the scene um, simultaneously from different directions. Sure. Um, yeah, there, obviously, there, there was somebody had to have been first. And, yeah, the 98 home run race, you know, really made it compelling that, oh, look what these guys are doing. Um, but it, it came from a lot of different directions. It wasn't in one clubhouse. It wasn't like the, you know, the Houston Astros – you know, sign stealing scandal where it was, it was, it was mainly in one clubhouse. Um, it was everywhere. Hmm. I mean, the nineties were a crazy time. Like all these like little guys, like I think of Brady Anderson, Luis Gonzalez, like these little guys in the early nineties in the late nineties, they are huge, (laughs) huge. Uh, that reminds me slightly off topic with the Dodgers. Um, you know, they had a lot of issues with like foreign prospects and stuff like, Kind of committing crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the and so the manager of the Giants, Gabe Kapler, he was the managing manager of like foreign prospects or whatever. Somebody under him, around him, had an Excel sheet, crimes.xxl. <laughs> like that was that was a file because they were committing so many crimes. And I don't know how they got away with not having any recomp- uh, recom. I can't think of the word. I've lost it. But how mm-hmm. nothing came back on them because you know the okay, Braves yeah. paid a pretty good price for some of the stuff they did mm-hmm. overseas. The Dodgers never did. I mean, the Dodgers had a few issues, a few personnel issues. Like, I think as Verdugo assaulted somebody. And uh, so Kapler faced a little bit of heat for some of that stuff, but <laughs> he more or less has skated from that. Yeah. I, did, I I've never heard that before. He had a file. Keep track well, of it. Wasn't, it wasn't Gabe, but it was somebody like under him. Right. To keep track of crimes is crimes.xl. <laughs> I like it. Hey, you know, keep it simple. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up baseball. All right. So, Here's my Blazer project. I was really trying to get it done before Halloween because Halloween is always the Halloween project. <laughs> and so I just, 
I wanted, I've redone a bunch of stuff. I'd hooked up my battery. I didn't, I didn't check the volts on it. I just hooked up my battery charge. The battery charge said it was fully charged. Hooked it up. Nothing. I'm like, well, it should at least be something. Like, I may have done something wrong, but I should at least get a light somewhere inside this. So I put my multimeter on it, and it tested out at 5 volts. So. <laughs> and, man, batteries are expensive. I just had to buy a battery from a Weiss car, like 200 bucks. Yeah. I, I just like, had to buy two batteries for a boat. Yeah. That's no fun. Because <laughs> all I wanted to do, I just wanted to, I'd gotten to the point where I'd wired up my fuel pump, and I just wanted to make sure I wired up right, and, like, there was not some issue somewhere down the line. Because I screwed, I screwed something up with the fuel pump. I had to rewire in a new one. Not related to my screw up. I just want to make sure it worked. Like before, I went to the Halloween mode and <laughs> dead battery couldn't do it. And so, did you have to put it down and move on? Yeah, because like Halloween, I, I gotta get started now. So, the, well, the in uh, I was I started looking around. You said something about Halloween because a lot of times we I see you know hints and clues laying around. So, what's are you are you ready to tell us what's the? I, I could tell you. <laughs> and it would just sound like a bunch of mumbo jumbo words, like. But I, I will say, so there is a video game based on a book called The Witcher. It's also a Netflix TV show, and there's a character in the game. Now I've, I've played the game, for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be one of the greatest games of all times. So I just I don't have time. I have played. I own it. I've played it for about thirty minutes. All right. But there's this character called Aradan Brayak Glass, and. <laughs> It's not that I'm like feel so connected to this character. He came on the screen like, oh, that dude looks awesome. That's all there is to it. He looks scary. He looks fun. And so nice. I just I have a list of potential Halloween costumes. So when it kind of gets to September, I go to that list and like what strikes me. And so I like that costume. That is not what I wanted to be this year. I wanted to be because every year I always pick something from pop culture and I just mimic that. Mm-hmm. And that's funny. Like people recognize that they like that. Like the Mandalorian. Like I really did it at the right time. The show had just come out. Like people loved it. Right. Uh, but I've always kind of wanted to do my own thing. And so this year I really wanted to do the Grim Reaper and do my own thing. And the reason I'm not doing the Grim Reaper is my son said, "Well, I'm being the Grim Reaper, and I don't want you to be the Grim Reaper too." And I tried to argue that we both could be the Grim Reaper, but he knows that if I was the Grim Reaper, I would overshadow him just yeah. a bit. Yeah. And so that got vetoed, and I had to be the Grim Reaper next year. Okay. But so so I, I have a prop at home. I have a prop at home. So mm-hmm. if you're the Grim Reaper, I have a prop for you. What's you the will, prop? It's a sickle. Uh, it's, it's probably not going to work for me. Really? I, I'm, I'm making one. Like, I want it huge. Like, uh, four this? feet. Like, the blade four feet. Uh, I want it, like, okay. the whole thing. Like, I want it but huge. But this is, this, is, this is antique. This is real. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. But now, like, because, like, last year, like, the last week I was working on it, I was thinking about, like, because whenever I get to like the last week Halloween, I'm always thinking like, "What am I gonna be next year?" And I just thinking about the Grim Reaper. I was like, "Oh, I could do this and this," and like I'd start my way to put my own spin on it. I was like, "That's it. That's what I want to be." Yeah. And so I was so excited this year to get started on it until I started my son. He's like, "You can't do that." And <laughs> as best as I tried to argue, he just he wasn't having it. So uh, that is it. That's what I'm gonna be this year. And unfortunately, like nobody's gonna know what it is, but it's okay because when you see me, it's just gonna be sufficiently scary to where you don't really need to know who I am. Like right. you're just gonna be like. I'll only they got alone. Yeah, that's nice. Because so that, that's it, all I want to do. Is it going to be done for Halloween? I sure hope so. Because <laughs> the blazer. I mean, I usually like at one point I, I was like years and years ago I'd get started pretty early. Like when I did my Ghostbusters costume, I started on that in July. Now not that like I worked late in the night every night, mm-hmm. but there's like the proton pack. The one I have is very detailed. It is a very good replica, mm-hmm. and it took a long time. And there are like <laughs> a lot of things to that and. After that year, I was like, I cannot start a Halloween costume in July. That just, there are too many other things in the world for me to do. <laughs> so after that, I was like, I'm going to start October 1st. 
I love the hard deadline, one month. Like that is the perfect amount of time uh, to where I just have to like scale what I plan to do for that. Yeah. And so I think I've done this would be like third or fourth or fifth year since then. So I'm hoping I, the Blazers set me back because I, I was trying to wrap that up, and of course I went. I was away for the weekend, going from September to October, which I was going to try to like wrap all that up. I was away then, so bit of a slow start. This costume is a little bit easier than some I've done, so hmm. I feel confident that I will get done on time. <laughs> I hope. So. I mean, I, I kind of have to. <laughs> my thought is always if I start at the top of the costume and work my way down, like that's what people are going to see first. So if like the bottom half is not quite done, most people yeah. look at the top half, so I can, I can skate behind <laughs> that. That's always the plan. You know, you're. What is it? You have the ability to stick with something that's different than most people. Does that, am I saying that right? Does that ring true to you? I mean, you're, I mean, you've done, I don't I haven't known you for a bunch of years, but you've done really big Halloween costumes every year. It's just your thing. It's just something you've always done. Well, I've known people that have done that, but they've never carried it on for more than a few years. And they've never done it year after year. They might do a really big one, and the next year, you know, go buy the plastic slip on at Walmart. <laughs> um, the uh, but you there's other things like that. I think in your life, it's just like, you know, Ward has something he likes. He's he's going to stick with it. I mean, I'm a creature habit for one, uh, but also, I just it gives me an excuse. Halloween is an excuse to like do a really neat project. And so for a couple of years, I was trying to push myself to learn different skills and do different things. For the past few years. I'm really not going outside of like what I know, but probably mm-hmm. just that can get really expensive really fast. You know, like <laughs> trying to like do all these new things and like, Oh, I don't have any of this stuff. I have to do that. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's an excuse to do a project that in January, there's no reason for me to make a costume. Like what would I do with this? And so do these projects, do they lead you to new skills or new tools or, uh, the past few years really haven't. Um, okay. I mean, the past few years have really been kind of perfecting what I know. Like, maybe four or five, six years ago, uh, I created a dagger. And I mm-hmm. I created it out of wood, and then I created a mold of it. I created a cast mold? Yeah. You, but, and so right. I, 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 I cold cast. It was a metal powder, so it's actually, like, the outside is actually metal. And I'd always wanted to just do that. It looked neat. But that's expensive. Getting the silicone from the mold, getting the plastic to create the prop. The powder itself is expensive. And so I thought, well, now that I have this skill, I'm going to use this all the time, but it just it gets expensive. <laughs> and I don't have, like, there's just not many projects that are like, you need to cold cast a dagger. That's really only a very specific <laughs> type of project. Because um, when I did that, I was like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to just make props and costumes and stuff because I enjoy that. But it just, it's like, after I was like, well, I can make a costume, but why? Why would I make a costume <laughs> other than Halloween? <laughs> and I don't want to start it in January because I could spend like nine months on it. So, yeah. October is always Halloween, and I uh, just good excuse to do something fun. Hmm. And then November is always NaNoWriMo, and I just kind of settled in that habit of like, when it hits, that's I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. So how long have you done NaNoWriMo, and have you accomplished the the novel every year? Um, or most years. The first time I did it was 2011, and I was like, well, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I mean, that, that was just like I thought I was a pretty good writer. Mm-hmm. There were times where NaNoWriMo, I thought I was a great writer. There were times I thought I should never write again. Because uh, I just never done it. It's, it's basically like, I don't run what's at all. The, what's, the me- so what was, what's the measure? 50,000 words. 50,000 words. Which is basically a 175-page novel. Okay. Like, all right. So uh, I'm sorry. You- so, so starting there, it's basically like me saying, I don't run. 
at all. It made me say, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. That's what my first NaNoWriMo was. Like, I had no idea, no preparation. Like, I had this, like, when I started, I had the idea for a novel. Finished that novel in 10,000 words. I got 40,000 words left to go. <laughs> what did I do with all that? And I did it. And so, somehow I made it. So I missed, like, quite a few years in a row. Um, and then I think I did it again in 2013. I think 2014 was the year I did the Ghostbusters costume, which I'd been working on for, like, four or five months. Didn't do it then. And then after that, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm like, really do it. So I've done it for five or six years in a row now. Three or four years ago, like, I mean, I read every now and then. I'm not a heavy reader, but uh, I like movies. I was like, I could write these novels, but I just, I don't really care. I want to write screenplays because I like movies. I like screenplays. So a number of years ago, I started writing screenplays. So a screenplay is much shorter than a novel. So I end up writing two and a half to three screenplays in the same amount of time. Hmm. And so I've done that for three or four years now. And my goal, my, I said when I initially started that switch, I was like, all right, I'm going to, once I get to 10 screenplays written, then maybe like I look at like, could I do something with this? Because I feel like if I've written 10, I kind of have a handle on, you know, the structure, like how you do it. You get a feel like 10 just seemed like numbers. So at this point I've done like 12 or 13 and I really like, oh, I should really go back. Cause I've never, I work feverishly for a month and this is why I've done enough where it's like, I have a pretty good routine where like the first couple of years, I felt like that's all I did was right now. I'm kind of like kind of fit it in the middle. Like I'm still living life. Like it's not this huge time sink. Like I get it done. And I still have time to live life. It's not, a, uh, but I've never gone back and read anything, not a single word of anything I've ever written. Oh, you're kidding! So I've got like, like eight. Has years. anybody ever read it? No, I've got eight years of stuff. So I think it's three or four or five novels and twelve or thirteen screenplays, and I've never gone back to read it. And I tell people, well, now like, that seems more bizarre to me than than the accomplishment or the effort that nobody's ever read any of it. Yeah, well, I tell people, like, well, you know, I don't know if it's good or bad, but if I read it, I might find out. As long as I don't read it, it could be great. Uh, but really, the thing is, the reason I haven't ever gone back is that the only reason I go back is I'm going to do something with it. If I'm not going to do anything with it, I'm not going to, like, posh it up and try to enter some screenwriting contest or, like, you know, submit it to some of these online things. Like, what? there's no reason. And it took me a month to write some of these things. It won't take me a month to read it, but <laughs> it's just like, I've been there, I've done it, don't want to yeah. do it again. Interesting. But one day, like, there have been a couple, there have been a couple, like, the novels, I don't, like, those I don't even really remember, but some of the screenplays are like, oh, yeah, that, like, that felt pretty good in the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd like to go back and maybe I could do something with it, but if I were to try and do something with it and, like, get it to Hollywood, I don't even know where to start other than, like, maybe some of these screenwriting contests. And those, some of those, you have to pay an entrance fee, and it's really just a way to get somebody else rich, and it's not really, I don't know. Right. And so, and I, you know, I have absolutely no knowledge or experience in this area. So what is, what is the structure? What's so different about writing a screenplay versus a novel? What's, it, and so I, I'm assuming a screenplay is more, it's, it, it would be setting a, a scene and, you know, uh, parsing out dialogue i mean is this is this what's different in yeah writing yeah so i mean i mean like like i have seen scripts before i've been in produ in productions and plays i've seen a script is this a screenplay i mean if, what, it, uh, pretty much yeah okay. i mean you know if like a novel like oh you know the blue placid water looks so nice like in a, in a screenplay it's water blue lake like you know you just kind of you don't need all these flowery descriptions because you're not writing to prose entertain you're setting the scene, and it, so it's your dialogue that really is kind of carrying it. Maybe your action. 
Uh, but I just I like movies more. I watch a lot of movies, so the screenplay just fit me better. And okay, like, made me think like, why am I writing novels? Like I, I read novels. I mean, I've read plenty. Like really, I'm getting a kick every few years where I, like I read a bunch of novels. Like this year's been well. This year I've read a bunch of children's novels. My son is reading a bunch of stuff now and like he's like wants to talk to me about it so i read stuff he's wanted me to read mm-hmm. uh, i just like certain plays more it's just it feels easier okay and i always i've always felt like even my right and when i was writing novels because i got into all this i started writing short stories in 2011 like i never really consider myself really good at short stories and uh there's an online forum that you'd submit a short story every other week and i like i kind of felt the pull to do it I was like well i'm not a really good writer so I, i'm gonna stay away from that and after about a month of Kind of like doing it. I was like, well, I'm just going to write one and see how it feels, but I'm not going to submit it. And I did that. I was like, well, I'm just going to submit it. And then that way they tell me it's bad. And I just not have to think about this anymore. And somebody said, oh, this was really good. And that was like the hook in my mouth. I was baited. Hmm. And so I, I wrote short stories that whole year up until NaNoWriMo. Did that. <laughs> that made me stop writing everything. It was, just, <laughs> it was just such a process. Like I just, I was like, I needed a month to recover. Um, but I wrote... From then, for the next few years, I wrote enough short stories to make like a novel and a half. And I always said I was going to self-publish it just for fun. Just because I see people self-publish and I see people do something. I just want to do it. Like I see people making a podcast. I want to make a podcast. I see people making a movie. I want to make a movie. Like that's just how it works. Yeah. I've always said I want to self-publish my collection of short stories because that is good. It's so easy to go back and edit a short story, a novel or screenplay. It's so long. It's like I just don't want to commit that kind of time to like going back. Right. Because, you know. I'm I'm writing like on the fly every night. I might go back and be like, wow, this this needs a lot of work, and I'm not sure I'm going to commit that kind of time to it. And then I always think, well, for NaNoWriMo, I should just go back and like fix one of these. It's like, well, I don't want to like fix. Them. I want to make something new. Like I've been there, I've done that. I want <laughs> Every time you've talked about that in the past, I've thought, it, it, you know, I um, I have never written anything that was written for reading pleasure. Mm-hmm. I, I just I mean, outside of school assignments. And, you know, that's, you know, of course, that was childhood stuff. But I've never written anything that was written for reading pleasure. But I've always thought of myself as a good writer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's like me, you know, thinking of myself as a great runner, but I don't run. You know, I just. (laughs) It could be, though. But I mean, it's like, I mean, when, you know, our kids were writing stuff you know, and they would bring it to us and we would, you know, we would help them, you know, edit and we would look for stuff. And, you know, I always felt like when they went away, you know, if, if I would give them some stuff to think about and if they had, and this is, this could just be me being purely narcissistic, which is the really, that's not something people tell me I am, but they they go away and they take my advice and they would make a change. I'm like, oh, that's better. Yeah. I just, I just feel like, uh, so I, I do feel like I could write, but I've never written anything for the that was written for the pleasure of reading. I always tell people, I was like, NaNoWriMo, I encourage everybody to do it. And like I encourage you to do it right now. And if you only write one word, that is one more word you've written for NaNoWriMo than you've ever written before. <laughs> like, just write one word. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, like... I would have to think that the most diff- I mean, I, and I, Just because... So, you know... I do think people, I, I do think some people are blessed with what I would call a creative mind. They, they see things in a different way. They, they, they create a creative mind. They create, they, they bring something out of nothing. They bring ideas to life. Um, and I've never really considered myself a creative person. So I think the most difficult thing about it would be coming up with an idea for a novel 
that was that would be worth putting pen to paper. Uh, you know, it's like if you if you said told me right, right, I want you to write a novel. I want you to start tonight. No idea. Yeah, but like for that, I mean, if I were coaching you on writing, I'd like write what you know. I mean, you're like, what do you do? Like, what do you like? Just start there. I mean, especially like because you know the first time is going to be rough. I mean, my first NaNoWriMo, it was just, it was it was rough. I spent hmm. so much time. It felt like I spent my entire month sitting in front of a computer writing. And now it's like nothing. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll knock out my words. Like, I got to know how quickly I can knock out some words. And sometimes <laughs> it's like, like I can, I can knock out, usually I can knock out 100 words in 10 minutes, like pretty easy. And so I'll kind of break it up like 15-minute spurts like throughout the day. Like that's easy. Uh, a lot of years, like one year I was so far behind, I had to do 8,000 words in like a day just to try to catch up on pace. Mm-hmm. And that one wasn't that bad, but like there's sometimes where writing a hundred words feels like I'm pulling teeth. It's just, hmm. but uh, it's funny. Only a few years ago did I realize like I really should outline this so that way when I get stuck, I have an outline to refer to. Like for the first few years, I was writing from the seat of my pants. I didn't have any plan. I didn't have any outline. It's just wow. And I realized like man, outline really would have helped that one out. <laughs> it made things a lot easier. Well, that's you know because you know when I read that you mentioned like spurts of reading, so. I have gone, first of all, I went the first 40 years of my life without reading anything for pleasure. You know, if I read anything, it was because I was made to read it for something else. (laughs) And I I literally was about 40 years. At about 40, I remember we went on a vacation. It was a different kind of vacation. I was going to have a lot of downtime. It was, you know, a lot of times we go on vacation, it's, it's really busy. It's really active. We're always... We're, we're, we're trying to get here. We're trying to get there. And I, I, don't, I don't, and that's not a complaint. It was just because we wanted to get a lot of stuff done. I remember it was, it was about the time I was 40. We went on a vacation and we were going to have a lot of downtime. I thought, well, ah, I'm going to take a book and read it. And I took a book and finished it the second day. And, you know, that somebody said something about, you know, do y'all, y'all want to do something so tonight? I said, we got to go out. We're going to go out tonight. Cause I go go buy me another book. <laughs> I had to have another book and I went and bought another book and I read it in two days. And so that trip, I, I read like six books and for a year I, I read even back at work and back in life, I was still reading, you know, a book a week and almost exactly a year later, I stopped reading and didn't read again for six or eight years. <laughs> and now I've done that. I have it right now. I, I, I can't even think of the last time I picked up a a novel and read just for the joy of reading. It's been a number of years, but I know if I do it, it's like, I just love it. And I can't, I can't put it down. I want to go back again. I got sidetracked. What I love when I read books is when there are these apparently insignificant details early in a book that we get later in the book, it's go, Oh dang. (laughs) I didn't even realize they had done that. I didn't even realize this insignificant detail becomes really the focal point of something in the book. And to me, that's what impresses. I'm so impressed with writers, how they weave the, these things into a story. And you talk about, you know, you know, an outline would have been nice. I'm thinking, how do these writers, I just, I just wonder like on sitcoms or like these dramas that like I watch on TV 
where the story progresses year in and year out. You know, are they just making it up as they go? Did nobody have any idea that we were going to pick up the guy, the fact that this guy wore plaid <laughs> pants every day? And, you know, it's it just weird things that they pick up. And I'm thinking, did they, did they go back and watch some stuff and say, hey, let's, let's use this detail and make it big? Or did they always plan to make that detail big? I mean, it really depends. I know it's funny. I was, uh, what was I watching? Oh, I was watching this uh, show a week or two ago called Defying Gravity, sci-fi. Like, I really enjoyed it. And it ended after one season, um, really no fault of its own. It's the it's ABC network. They just, they picked it up three weeks before they had the first episode. They didn't advertise it, didn't anything. So it, it got canceled. So I was looking it up. I'd, I'd caught like a few episodes like way back when on Hulu, like when Hulu would give you free episodes. You didn't have to have an account. You didn't have to pay for anything. You got ads, you watch. And so I'd watch a couple episodes and I'd been, yeah, I'd only saw a few episodes and I never knew how it finished. And so I'd like, few weeks i was like oh, yeah that show i really like that i wonder if that's available anywhere so i watched it and uh it ended and like it, it, it the first season didn't end in a bad place but it's clear there's more story to be told uh there's only one season so i looked it up i looked up the writer and just to see like what he said and you know he had some interview where he's like well you know the show's not gonna get picked up i'm just gonna give you what would have happened he had he basically had outlined it pretty thoroughly through the first three seasons he's like i had it planned for five seasons and so i had this th first three seasons this was gonna happen I was clear on this fifth season. I thought it might go this way, and he's and his in the interview he says he's like yeah well you know I'd I talked to some of the guys that wrote on Lost and I didn't want to show where we had no <laughs> idea what was going on right up until the end and so yeah I think it just depends on the writer like who plans it who doesn't yeah um but like for me like I'll outline because I found the outlining really helps my story structure where I'm like oh yeah this fits better here like kind of like get the shape of the story and then it's filling in the gaps and then when I'm writing it I'm not rigid to my outline it's like oh wow this is really good and like in the middle of an hour it's like my gosh, like I need to change all this. So I was like, write myself a note in the March. Like if I ever go back and fix this, this needs to go here. I need to do it, change all this. Cause it's like, I don't have to like hunt through and fix all this, but it's like, this will make it really good. If we fix this, but hmm. it's like, it's nanorama. I got things to do. I, I can't, I'm not going like, <laughs> to like, yeah, it would fix can't it. Can't fix it. Just gotta get Nobody's going to read it. So why do I need to fix it? I'll just make a note of what should happen. This has been another rousing episode of Fridays on the fly. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm Ward. And I'm Rod. Go to our website, Fridays From there you can find everything episodes, iTunes links, Stitcher, whatever you need from Fridays on the Fly, you can find it there. So go there, check us out. <laughs>